Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad you're here. I'm David Baker, your host, and uh, I have here with me a friend, David Hiles. Good morning. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am wonderful. So uh, ready for, we're recording this right before Christmas. So uh, you guys ready for Christmas and the holidays and uh, all the people you guys get to help down there? Well, we've had a wonderful season. What a great year. God has allowed us to help a lot of people. And uh, so this is the first time recently that we haven't uh, had people here. So we're getting, uh, well, we have some folks coming today, but uh, it, yeah, it's going to be great. You have to ask my wife if we're ready for Christmas, though, or not. So yeah, Absolutely. Uh, between all of our church and ministries and family and kids and grandkids, I think we kind of, we have nine Christmases at our house, nine different uh, groups and parties. So uh, my wife will be leaving me after the first of the year. So <laughs> pray for that. But uh, um, uh, it's been a blessing and a joy and I uh, love it. And by the way, the last podcast we did on restoration was really good and got a lot of good comments. Even today, I heard from somebody um, that talked about that and how important that was and how uh, big it is. So restoring people when they fall, uh, to lift up someone is such a big deal. If you missed that podcast, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because, um, boy, if we could, if we could reenlist every Christian who's fallen and help them to be restored, and they were serving the Lord together somehow, witnessing, helping, uh, and taking their experience of what they've been through for bad and using it for good, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, and how God can take the bad, Romans 8, 28, and turn it around for good, um, boy, to re-enlist those soldiers of the Lord again for God, we could turn around this country and turn around the world. There's so many people that are, are just fallen soldiers who've never taken time to patch and heal and get back uh, serving the Lord. What do you think, Brother Dave? Well, absolutely. In fact, we have, um, when we're done with this podcast, uh, a pastor who fell this past year, and uh, he came to see us. We were able to help him and and uh, get through the situation. Uh, his church that he, he ended up leaving, of course, church is doing fantastic, <clears throat> but he is bringing his adult children and their families out today to see us and to see our ministry because they are so excited about what God has done in the life of their dad, their mom. And that's just what makes it so special because they are they have a new lease on life and actually stronger than ever in their marriage, stronger than ever with their kids. And that could be the story if we just cared enough to handle everyone carefully. And, and, and cared enough to restore those who could be restored and could be used again. So, yeah, it's it's a necessary thing for sure. 
it's amazing how some people have an attitude okay they sinned it's our job to destroy them and keep them down or others have an attitude of someone sin let's help them let's uh, get them close to God let's get them forgiven where they understand that God's forgiven them and loves them and cares about them and see how their life can be used again it is amazing the different mindset that people have one is true Christianity the other is um, Phariseeism <laughs> yeah and I think I think it revolves around whose heart do you have <clears throat> if you have the heart for yourself you're going to be the elder brother if you have a heart for your father you're going to be the the servant that does whatever is necessary that the father wants done to restore. It's all a matter of where's your heart. Uh, if you love God, you love your heavenly father, then you will love who he loves. And that's the problem is a lot of people love themselves too much and they have the heart of the elder brother. Amen. Well, Dave, I want to have you on to uh, talk about your dad. And uh, your dad was an incredible ministry figure in life. He was my pastor and mentor and helped so many people and so many churches all over. And um, in my opinion, we still need him, need him badly. Uh, I want to start off in the beginning of how your dad grew up. But before we do that, maybe just mention your dad's heart of restoration. Um, what did your dad do? How is his heart, his passion to help people when they fell? And did anybody push back on him? Did they not, uh, did he have people that he had to deal with that didn't think uh, people should be restored to? And then we'll go into starting off in the beginning of your dad's life. Well, I think that the number one thing that uh, people got mad at my dad about was the fact that he would help people they didn't think deserved helped. And I, I think I never met anyone that loved people more than he did. And he loved them for where they were, and he loved them enough to help them wherever they were to come back to where they could be. That didn't mean they could always come back to where they had been as far as uh, positionally, but they could always come back and, and even be better relationally with the Lord and still be used of God. And I think it, it goes back to the, the elder brother again. Uh, the elder brother was very critical because he was unhappy with the way his father handled the prodigal. He thought the father should be cruel, uh, reject him. So you're going to be criticized. And he was and accused and criticized for that. But I don't think I ever knew anyone that cared more. If, if you fell, you had a friend that would help yeah. you. So... Well, that's a big deal. We definitely need that. It'd be great if uh, Christians and preachers hearing this model themselves after that. I'm going to be the one when somebody falls to lift up the brother. Uh, so tell us about your dad's upbringing. Uh, your dad's upbringing was different than, uh, than uh, most people. And I think that helped uh, define or create his heart, passion, ministry of who he was. Of course, dad grew up poor, very poor. And he grew up in a very difficult set of circumstances, pretty much grew up with a single mom, not, not completely, but for the most part, his mother raised him. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, my dad's sister uh, went to heaven shortly after my mom did in, in 2017. And um, her two daughters, twins, um, I, I, I found out yesterday are both just probably days or weeks away from heaven. And uh, so I talked to one of my cousins yesterday about uh, my dad and about his life and the things that he did. And, you know, it was interesting talking about the things that we know about his background and the poverty. But I think the key thing was he had a mom. And it seems that's a, a, a common thread in so many guys. But he had a mother who um, did not allow the poverty to affect how she uh, raised him. Uh, in fact, it probably enhanced uh, his his background because his passion seemed to come from uh, the many different types of people that he helped or that he uh, encountered as a young man. Having two sisters that were invalids, he cared about the people that were invalids. Um, having a, a, a mom that was poor, he cared about the poor, the widows, uh, being what we, we would have probably had a bus kid. He cared about the bus kids. Um, so I think that that he his ministry was an outgrowth of that poverty, that that difficult time as a child. And I think it's what made him have the heart that he did. 
That is amazing. And you think about the rescue mission. Um, I uh, I think I was there one time, but I never got to be close to that while I was there. But how much was that rescue mission and outreach of wanting to help people like his dad? Well, yeah, and it's interesting. My dad didn't see the rescue mission men as just projects. I love to tell the story about every Thanksgiving. Um, my dad would go uh, he'd do the morning broadcast. He did the pastor study as we were growing up, nine o'clock every morning, Monday through Friday. So Thanksgiving morning, when he finished with the broadcast, he would always go to the rescue mission and he would say, hey, doc, you want to go with me? And so I would go with my dad on Thanksgiving. It's a great memory every, every year going out to the rescue mission. And he didn't go there as, as the pastor. He went there as their friend. He had a he had a, he cut up with them. Uh, they loved him. He loved them. There was an amazing camaraderie that he had, and that was that was true with him and those men all the time. I never saw him uh, treat those men inferior. He treated them as his friends because he loved them and had a special heart for them. And I loved them. I mean, I still remember a lot of those guys. And uh, they were like friends of the family. And uh, we, we loved the rescue mission then. Amen. So we're talking to some about this, but what else about your dad's ministry? If you had to describe or um, the philosophy, the attitude, the purpose uh, of your dad's overall ministry. I mean, it, it's amazing. The people that he touched uh, will not know till we get to heaven, the biggest, the, the real impact that he had. But if you describe your dad's ministry in a philosophy or the outreach, how would you, uh, how would you say that? I would call it the man with the heart. Many years ago at pastor school, they um, they had a program they would do called the Church with a Heart. And I don't know if people all completely understood that that truly was the heart of my dad. A church is a reflection of the pastor's heart. If a pastor has a heart for God, a heart for Christ, a heart for souls, a heart for the hurting, so will the people. What made First Baptist Church an amazing church was the heart that it had. But that heart was a reflection of the heart of my dad. That was a reflection of the heart of God. And I think that the greatest description of my dad's ministry was his love and his compassion. And I think that there's a lot of guys out there that if they would just get that, that heart, that love, that compassion, it would radically change their ministries. Boy, so many statements your dad would say, and I still use them and think about them now, working with teenagers. I heard him say often that he truly believed that no teenager would ever, would ever go astray if they knew just one person truly cared about them. And when people got to know your dad, they knew he did. He truly, truly cared about them. And I love the philosophy when people would ask him, boy, how did you build this church, this ministry? And he said, well, I moved up here and I met a man that had a need and I helped him. And he had a friend that had a need and I helped him. And he had a friend that had a need and I helped him. And 40 years, this is what God's done. Uh, boy, to me, that's just the perfect philosophy of what ministry is about. Uh, Jesus, what about doing good, helping, healing, serving, saving, um, to do the same thing. And in my mind, that's what I see from your dad. You're just helping people, whether it's the preacher or the bus kid or the mission man or the family or the marriage or anything, just amazing what that was. Um, um, one of the craziest things that uh, when your dad was going through a battle and the church and he was being criticized for all these things, he said, people don't know how much I give because I don't talk about that. He said, tonight, if you wouldn't mind, there's a purpose for it. If I've ever given you, because they talked about, you know, all the money that he got and all the money he made and things like that. He said, if I've ever personally given you money to help you when you were going through a tough time and struggling. He said, would you mind standing? And you know, big auditorium on Sunday night. And I looked around and like, man, I'm the only one standing. I mean, there were literally thousands of people that were standing up and it was just floored to go, wow, the heart of this man. Somebody's having a marriage problem. He's, you know, gives them a hundred dollars. You guys just need to go on a date, you know? And, uh, you know, a girl comes in, her teeth are missed. She can't get a date as a single girl. And he pays for her to get her braces done. Or how many stories like that, those individual people that he just cared about and personally sacrificed to help? Well, my dad said to me one day, what I think was a great statement that 
I don't think he made publicly. He said to me, he said, son, I spend my entire life trying to make people love me. And I thought to myself, that sounds so selfish. I mean, it did at first, I, I it, it really threw me. And I said, okay, dad, explain. And he said, I want them to love me because if they love me, then they'll let me help them. And I, and I realized at that point that dad did things for people so he could help them. Well, if you study the life of Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus did. Yeah. He went about doing good in order to help people. So if they, if they loved him, then he could help them. And that's how dad lived. He really did. I mean, I, I got to tell you, that's how he really lived. And I don't, it's sad that people didn't get a chance to see him and know him in that light, or they would have understood it. It's amazing, you know, that statement your dad made. And of course you said, okay, explain it. And he would, but how many people would take that and criticize it on a surface and not understand the purpose behind it? I remember, I think it was a young, the young Jack Howells pastor school when they talked about his young ministry and and uh, one of the assistant pastors would come out and say, let me explain our pastor and what he does. He loves people, shows them he loves them, and then tries to help them. And if they're not ready yet, he backs up and goes deeper on his love and then tries to help them. If they're not ready yet, he backs up and goes deeper to show them how much he loves them and then tries to help them again. And he never gives up. Um, and so that old phrase we all know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care is so true. And that was your dad. I've got to prove to these people that I care about them so they will let me help them. And boy, what a great philosophy. We're so quick to just throw people off if they don't do what we think or do what we say. It's like, no, that's my job. Um, and how many people have been so hurt by the world and by people and things are so jaded and their guards are up so much, you can't help them until you realize this guy loves me. Probably one of my favorite stories about your dad. I'm sure you can give insight to it, but um, I think Miss O'Brien, um, secretary, husband wasn't saved. They pray for her every day that her husband be saved. And one day God touched your dad's heart to go by um, and see him at lunch. And uh, he happened to be home and without even thinking, he opens the door and your dad just drops to his knees and, and grabs him around the ankles and just begs him to get saved. And here's this gruff older guy looks down and says, why preacher, you do really care and let him come in and show him how to go to heaven. Is that pretty much that story? I mean, that's like, wow, you, you really do care. And until they see you care, they're not going to let you help them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's how he was. Wow. So um, what kind of dad was he? Um, sometimes people criticize that. What kind of a dad was Dr. Jack Hiles? Well, we were, of course, I mean, we were close. Um, growing up, we were buddies. In fact, that's what he would say. He would say, what are we? And I said, we're buddies. And we started that when I was just a little boy and could barely say it. But um, dad always spent time with uh, with us. And um you know, I don't think people realize that he was not an absent father just because he was a busy person. When he came home, he came home to be home and he gave full attention. And uh, we we did a lot of things. I mean, we went to baseball games. Dad was a Cubs fan. I was not. I was a White Sox fan. And um, strangely enough, my favorite player was Ernie Banks, who played for the Cubs. But I really was not a Cub fan. So dad and I used to go to baseball games. Uh, we'd go to Wrigley Field to see the Cubs. We'd go to Comiskey Park, old Comiskey Park, to see the White Sox. But back in those days, you could sit anywhere because nobody was there. And so we would go to, I think, 12, 14 games a year sometimes. But it was always the an equal number of games. If we went to four White Sox games, we went to four Cubs games. But I can't tell you how many times my dad would say, hey, doc, what are you doing this afternoon? And I and, and I mean, from the time I was a little kid and he'd say, let's go see the Cubs play. Uh, let's go see the White Sox. But you could pay a buck and get into the games. So we would drive and and go to a Wrigley Field uh, or Comiskey Park on the south side. And I remember seeing Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle hit back to back home runs in Comiskey Park sitting there. Wow. Right and we kept scorecards. The old scorecards. I have one uh, sitting up here, um, uh, up on on my wall. Uh, was it one of those old scorecards where if a person got a single, you'd put a, a line up to first base, and if they went to second, you'd go to second, 
And if they hit a double, you'd put a D, you know, and, and you kept the scorecard. Well, my dad taught me to do that. And we did that every single game. We'd get a scorecard and, and keep that. So that was a lot of fun, good memories. But he also, he was, he, he was a good teacher and he and family devotions every night and uh, taught us things. What we did with him was up to us, but he, mm. he was always faithful and consistent. Wow. So your dad didn't forsake his family to go out and save the world, really? You know, it's interesting. I had a guy, a preacher, just a few years ago, make a statement to me, and I was it scared me when he said it. I, I just, you know, it didn't hurt me. It just scared me. He said, you know, I won't trade my kids like your dad did for the country. And I, I really, I resented it on one, from, from one standpoint for my dad, because that was a misconception. My dad did not do that. He didn't, he didn't stop doing what he was doing. He added to what he was doing. In other words, dad found other ways to sacrifice himself. He took away things from himself, not us, yeah. in order to do more. And that was the difference. And by the way, that same preacher has, has had this tragedy, difficulties with kids, uh, because that's the choice of a kid. That's not the choice of the parent. Parent doesn't raise a child to, to, to sin and do wrong. I mean, that's inherent in us, and we choose if we're going to do what we do. So I, 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 so I, I scared me when he said it, because I thought, you, you, you be careful. Be really careful. But um, dad never made me feel like I had lost anything. Um, I, I never felt that way. I felt that my dad was always the same to me was always my dad. And uh, did he do more than he had been doing at one uh, earlier? Yes. Did it cost me? No. So I think that's a, a, a sad thing that, that people would have that idea that he traded. Um, and I think that's what happens to a lot of men uh, in, in positions um, where they grow and they become well-known. And let, let me just say this, be careful how you treat your pastor's children because it may not be the pastor that causes their fall. It may be you. I mean, look, you may be, your reaction, your, your uh, getting mad at the pastor and taking on his family or your carelessness to criticize him in front of his kids or, or whatever it might be, or expect more from them. And, and, and this isn't excuses. This is just honest. I, I deal with a lot of preachers' yeah. children and have over the years. So I think it's a, it's 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 something people need to be careful about because they it's too easy to point the finger and say, well, I mean, you don't know what it was like to be King David's son. So before you jump on King David and blame him, what do you know about what really took place in the lives of those kids? That's just that's just a little that's extra good. something to think about. No, that's good. I my first um uh, position out of Bible college, uh, the pastor I was working for made that statement in a staff meeting talking to us men uh, about our children and families. He goes, guys, we need to make sure we get the balance between ministry and family and not tell his statement, not tell our kids to die and go to hell while we go out and save the world. And um, and referencing your dad and well, I wanted to hit him, but that's my pastor. How can I do that? Um, tell us about that story. I've heard Dr. Hans tell it, but from your side, uh, how old were you? Where were you at? What did he say to you? What did you say, um, you know, back in your prayer? Tell that story. Well, I was only about 13 years old, 12 or 13. And, um, you know, it was just my dad sharing his heart with me. And I, to me, see, my memory of it was dad sharing his heart and with his son. He shared a lot of things with me. And, he, and, he, and I sensed in, in him that day a burden for the country, uh, a burden for our nation, which I wish more preachers uh, yeah. had that same kind of burden. And, um, and, and I'm not saying they don't, but sometimes it's, 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 it's misplaced, but that's another subject. Um, and we just talked about it and prayed together. It was not, not as dramatic to me as it seemed as it was to him, because obviously to him, he felt my heart was with him. And I think it meant a lot to him to know that his son, with whom he was very close, uh, had the, the compassion or the concern that, you know, 
he would, I would, I would want my dad to do what God called my dad to Amen. do. That's big. That's big. We've talked about your dad's upbringing, his ministry, uh, him as a father. What about him as a husband and uh, his marriage? Uh, talk about that. My dad was very romantic, very loving, very romantic. And um, I mean, that's something I can, I remember from being a small child. He just, a uh, very romantic man. And I think that um, my dad and my mom, their marriage grew stronger and stronger and stronger uh, as the years went by, I think it was hard for my mom at first because dad, dad went, uh, she, she married when she was still a, a high school student. So she quit school and never finished high school, uh, never went to college. And so, you know, I think it was tough for her at, at, during that time. But dad would say to me throughout the years, my dad would say, I just, mom grows. She's just constantly growing. I'm so proud of mom. You'd be proud of mom. She's just growing because dad paid attention to mom's uh, growth as a person and he cared about it. Um, and their, their marriage was good. She was, um, in the years that we were at home, mom wanted anonymity. Um, she wanted uh, to, to keep us a, a little bit sheltered. So she would ask my dad not to talk about her uh, and tell stories about her. And then as years went by, and she felt it was best for him that he did talk about her. He came, she came back and said, go ahead and you can tell stories. But uh, their relationship was good. I, I, you know, spent a lot of time with my mom the last five years of her life. You have no idea. People have no idea how much she loved my dad and how much she admired him and how much she saw the greatness in him. Um, I go to her house every Saturday morning. Um, my wife would be working on Saturday morning. So I'd go over and have coffee with mom for five years. I did this and, and we would sit and, and she loved just talking about dad. We tell stories and uh, we went to a, a camp meeting right before she died, shortly before she died. And uh, we went to this camp meeting in East Texas and it was right outside the little town where my dad and mom pastored their first church in Bogota, Texas. And strangely enough, a lot of Southern Baptists were at that meeting and they just talked and talked and talked and talked about my dad and told wonderful stories. And my mom was in second heaven. She just was, she was just elated because they were so close and um, they got closer and closer and grew together, uh, which is what a good marriage. By the way, it's interesting. He wrote a book on marriage, but he didn't write it until after they'd been married 50 years. That was the plan. He said, I'm not going to write that book until such time. By the way, it's a good book. Uh, it needs it to, is. everyone should read that book. Every married couple should. Awesome. So uh, just an illustration of how much your mom loved your dad. And uh, so after he had passed away and been gone a few years, uh, didn't she have an opportunity uh, with some uh, pursuers? Uh, oh, well, one guy in particular. Uh, yeah. Mom, mom never wanted you know, uh, to ever find another husband or boyfriend. But I do remember uh, that she was being pursued. And this guy wasn't going to take no for an answer. And uh, so finally, my mother had to rebuff him firmly and sternly. Uh, I remember going over and there were flowers laying in the garbage can. And she said, I said where'd you get those? And she said, the guy sent them to me. And she said, that's the vase I put them in, uh, it was the garbage can vase. So um, uh, finally that stopped. But um, mom, mom had no interest. Her love for my dad was so great. And I remember when my dad breathed his, his last breath and my mother, he was holding on. They had him on a machine. We thought the machine was keeping him alive. And uh, they said, you, you want to take, take, take him off the machine. And, and my mother said to my dad, she says, um, it's okay, you can go. And he died. And they didn't have to take him off the machine because all they needed, all he needed was mom's permission. It was okay. Because when he went into surgery that um, could, we knew could possibly take his life. I said to my dad, I said, well, are, you, are you scared? He goes, I'm not scared of dying. He said, I'm not scared of, I'm not even thinking about the future of the church. He said, I just don't want to leave mom. Mm. I don't want to leave mom. His one love, his one concern above all others, 
He made no plans for the future of the church, uh, contrary to some popular opinions, but he did make plans regarding the future of my mom. Awesome. What's the, uh, what's the biggest misconception you think about your dad that people think it's amazing how many people think they know your dad that have never met him, that have read a few stories or books that somebody else who had an agenda wrote about him and they think they know your dad. Um, I don't know your dad like you, but I was around him. I was security guard. I got to be at his house when he got home from church on Sunday night and be there in the morning. And when he's going off to go preach and we spent some personal time together, but I wouldn't say I know your dad like that, but how many people this, they have these misconceptions and really have no clue. What do, what are the biggest misconceptions about your dad? Well, there's a lot of misconceptions, but I'm going to tell you one that I think is the biggest misconception of many pastors who are critical of my dad. And that is he never wanted to build a big church. I, I don't believe it was ever his desire to build a big church. Let me explain. I, we have a, 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 a rancher farmer here near where we live and um so he raises cattle and i i asked him how big his herd was and he said i don't know i don't i don't count them but he said i i don't try to build a big herd he said i just take the cows that come my way and i raise them and take care of them my dad didn't seek to build a big herd he sought to help a lot of people. Dad was a pastor. We could go to Joe Hirsch, the men's clothing store in Hammond, uh, owned and run by a Jewish man, Joe Hirsch. And I went to school with his son, Ricky. We graduated and went to high school together. And uh, he would pastor Joe Hirsch while he was there. One of the salesmen, was his, his little daughter was, was not doing well physically and had some serious illness. And we, I remember him sharing that with my dad. And uh, my dad took the time to pray with him in Joe Hirsch. Um, he pastored him. And I think that when you, when you love to pastor, my dad would make the statement, I was made to pastor. That's what, that's what he would say. Then you would look for every opportunity to be the pastor to someone who needed. Now, here, here's how that translated. My dad would go to a church to preach and realize that pastor needed a pastor. He would pastor him, not because he wanted another congreg congregant. He just, he, he wanted to be what that man needed. He pastored people. Well, as he did, his capacity to pastor more people increased. You know, some people say, you know, I have, I have two children and, and I could never love more than two children. And then they have three and then I could never love. But you, you have 11. You know what I'm saying? The capacity increases. You, you, can't, you can't have 11 children at one time. But as you grow, your capacity grows. Well, that's what happened to dad. And I think the reason men don't build bigger churches is because they want to build bigger churches, not pastor more people. Now, that's big. I truly believe that's what is the greatest misconception. And now, that said, how do you pastor more people? Well, you get more people to bring more people. You motivate people to bring more people who need someone to pastor them. Thus, promotions bus routes, fall programs, spring programs, Sunday school. And the, the, I wrote a book on my dad's philosophy of Sunday school several years ago. And my dad used to say, I don't pastor the members of First Baptist Church of Hammond. I pastor the Sunday school teachers and they pastor the people of First Baptist Church in Hammond. Now, that's not because he was copping out of pastoring. It was because he wanted more people to have a pastor. Yeah. He didn't have to be the one, but he knew that everyone needed a pastor. So he taught his Sunday school teachers to be the pastor, to pastor people, to oversee and over, look over them and care for them. That is who he was. Yeah. And that misconception alone has caused more people to criticize him for being about numbers, 
for being having promotions. Well, you know, if you want to pastor more people, I would think you're going to look for ways to pastor more people. That's big. I think it, I think of that like uh, Jesus when he said they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, your dad wanted to make sure the people of Chicagoland, Hammond area had a shepherd. And you can't pastor all of them, but you can pastor the Sunday school <coughs> teachers who can pastor those people where they're getting love. That's big. Your dad's been gone. It's hard to believe over 20 years. I just, just shocking to me. Why is he still so controversial? Um, I know he thought toward the end of his life, he'd become the patriarch and could travel around and preach and, and just be, you know, the revered older preacher. And then you would think after he's passed away that it could become that. Why, why not? Why is he still so controversial? Why is Thomas Jefferson so controversial? Um, I mean, what? He's been gone 200 years. Yeah. Plus. I think the more your, your philosophies are impactful, the more people will criticize your philosophies or find fault in them. And if they can't find fault in the philosophy, they'll find fault in the person. You see, they're not attacking the principles of Thomas Jefferson today. They're attacking Thomas Jefferson. Now, some people will try to attack his principles because they're ignorant. They don't understand the principles and generations forget. So you and I are we're living in a time where people don't even understand what the mindset of our founding fathers that could build a nation unlike any in the history of the world. And now they're tearing apart the philosophy. But when you can't tear apart the philosophy, you got to tear apart the person behind the philosophy. Yeah. So I believe that the thing that people don't realize, my dad still got influence. His books are still out there and we're seeing to it before my mom died. One of the things she asked was that I made sure that we got everything we could to perpetuate his ministry. And that's why there's a, a something called Jack Hiles Library. Um, Jack Hiles Library is, is, is a site online that we're, we're his sermons and, and, and we're redoing his books. Why? Because people want them. There are places in this country they mimeograph his books. I'm talking by the thousands. Now, I'm talking about foreign countries because they want what he taught. And here's what's interesting. The people that don't like my dad in America, they love to hear the stories of people that are doing the same kind of thing my dad did in America in foreign countries. Yeah. So they love what he did as long as it's on a foreign field, but they don't love what he did if it, it, because it's here. So I think he's his influence is trying to be, they're trying to stop his influence. And, and I don't believe that's going to happen I, I truly don't. I believe that God is going to continue to use him and what he wrote and what he did and what he taught. Is it going to be rejected? Absolutely. Because there are too many people that, that want to destroy the man in order to destroy the philosophy. But right philosophies can't be killed. They can be stopped to a certain degree, but so that's it. A long answer to any short question. No, that's big. Well, the philosophy your dad taught, the Bible doctrines, the positions he took, everything from soul winning to the King James Bible, it's amazing how many people try to destroy him for that because he was a champion of those issues. And so if we can destroy him, we can destroy those uh, um, those principles, philosophies, ministry, doctrines, and things that he did. It does seem like it's amazing. If you like Jack Howells, you like soul winning, you like uh, standards, you like preaching, you like the King James Bible, and the people that don't like your dad are the ones that are different on those issues and trying to trying to push that. Now, you, uh, let, me, let me just share one other thought on that. Sure. When you, if you don't like something that a man has taught, study it and ask yourself, why did he teach it? Why, why did he come to that conclusion? Why did, the, why did the founding fathers conclude there should be three branches of government? Why? There's, because we may criticize something because we don't know the why behind it. Why did, so if you go back and listen to my dad's preaching in the early 70s, you will hear him describe America today, prophetic. Yeah. So yeah. The, the things he, decisions he made, the decision he made about the King James Bible, that was a choice. That was a decision. Why? If you studied what was behind it, not what someone said was behind it, what yeah. he said, 
led him to that position, then you might have a, a different outlook on why he chose to take that position. Well, that's good. How would you describe your dad's preaching? Balanced. Now, how many sermons? I mean, he kept up with that, which is amazing. I mean, how many sermons he preached and uh, and how big preaching was to him. So balanced, describe that. But he was, I think he said this one time, um, he may have said it multiple times, but he was a sermonizer. My dad was always preparing sermons, not because that sermon was necessarily needed at that moment, but because it was a thought that came from the scripture. My dad was a textual preacher, and he would read the Bible, come up with a thought for a sermon that came from the scriptures. Uh, I, I best way to describe my dad was he was a Bible preacher. When he was topical, he was a Bible preacher. When he was textual, he was a Bible preacher. When he was expository, he was a Bible preacher. He was a balanced preacher. I uh, There's a, uh, a professor uh, in, in a Bible college, uh, and it's not, and it's, uh, I'll just say it, it's a Southern Baptist Bible College, but he got his, his um, uh, education starting teaching Sunday school in the First Baptist in Hammond. And a couple of few years back, he said to me, he said, the great foundation of my Bible knowledge came from teaching Sunday school at First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. And I'll never forget that statement. He's uh, still, still a friend of mine, but uh, he, he's, a, he's a doctor. Uh, he earned doctorate degree, PhD. Um, he, he's uh, a professor. But it, it, he saw the, the depth of the teaching and the balance that was there. He wasn't interested in educating people. He was interested in equipping people. And there's a big difference in educating and equipping. If you're in a war, you need equipment, not just education. So you need to equip someone to know how to do something. It's like a doctor who doesn't teach through the medical book. What he does is he prepares things for the patient that might that 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 has a need. He's pre-determined things that he know knows are needed, but he doesn't bring them out until he sees the actual need appear. So my dad would counsel people during the week, see a, a trend of needs and go back to the sermons that he had been preparing from the scripture and preach them. So he wasn't interested in just, by the way, he also led people to make decisions. And that's something that we is very criticized today. Come to a conclusion. It's kind of like go to a doctor and the doctor tells you what's wrong with you. That's it. I'll tell you what's wrong with you. Now you got to go figure out if you're going to do what you should do to get better. That's not what doctors do. They tell you what you need to do. They prescribe to you a course of action based upon the, the, the diagnosis that they've made, based upon the what they know you don't know. Well, a preacher should know some things that people don't know so that he can make diagnoses. And after he's made a diagnosis, give a prescription of how they can apply that diagnosis or the cure to the problem. And that's what he did. Wow. Yeah, I, balance, I think, says it all. If you could understand, I got to sit under him for years and to see I was in his Sunday school class and there's just a solid, straight Bible teaching that he gave. And then Sunday morning, so many times, the compassion, the love, the encouraging, the helping people that were struggling that he dealt with all week long and counseling and helping them. And then Sunday night were the fiery sermons to uh, uh, to help us to go out and win the world to Christ. And uh, and the Wednesday night Bible study is just so solid. Um, the, the teaching, the series of things that he did. And then, um, you know, for the Preacher Boys class we had on Saturday night. Boy, just what a fun, neat time that was. And I think that is exactly it. How would you, what would your dad think about fundamentalism today? Uh, if your dad were here and were seeing what was going on in our churches and preachers, what would he think? Well, I think that there's a lack of, um, of focus on the, on the main thing. I think he would see the lack of focus on on, on reaching the lost, hmm. on reaching sinners. I think we all think that's what we're doing, but I think we're, we're thinking we need Donald Trump to be president for us to be able to do it. And the fact of the matter is the greatest soul winning ministries in the world today are in countries where soul winning is probably not even legal. And I think that we've lost sight of in fundamentalism 
in, in, in of the purpose of being a fundamentalist. It's not to fight for fundamentalism. It's to it's to win the world to Christ. But he, here's what we're not seeing, and he saw this. The purpose of the fundamentals are for us to have truth, so that truth can be then imparted to a lost world. Okay. If you don't protect that. Good. Then, then, then you're you're going to have a false message, which is what's happened. Why are so many people falling for the new apostolic reformation? Because we aren't fighting enough for the fundamentals that lead men to true salvation, not false salvation. So we have a lot of people that are in so-called Christian churches, but they're doctrinally unsound. They're they're. Christianity is not built on the fundamentals. We don't like that word. We're scared of that word. That's another thing my dad would 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 not like about fundamentalism today, is we're we're afraid of the word, and it's a word. They're going to call you something. Be what you are, and if they think if they make it bad to be what you are, be what you are. Yeah, and that's what he did. No, that's big. Uh, your dad, the book, The Fundamental Man, and um, and the true meaning of that word, the fundamental, uh, the principles that are fundamental. Uh, nobody has a problem with fundamentals in basketball or the fundamentals of golf or the fundamentals of, uh, of any other sport, but the same thing, the <laughs> fundamentals of our faith. And like you said, they're not just to say, see, I know I'm, I'm a fundamentalist. I believe this. It's I believe this so I can go do this other thing that needs to be done. It's just like the fruit of the spirit is for what? The fruit of the spirit is to go use to win someone to Christ to get the fruit of a Christian. Not just to say, look at my love, look at how good I am. Those fruit of the spirit is to show that to people and lead them to Christ. The same thing, like you said, those fundamentals, I believe, so I can go take it to the world. What uh, John, John Wooden was, I think, the greatest basketball coach, at least on the collegiate level in history. Hmm. He coached, I think, 11, 12 championships for UCLA, grew up in Indiana, and just an Indiana boy. The first thing that he taught his players to do was to tie their their shoes. (laughs) And he taught them how the right way, he said, your feet are the key thing to this thing. If your feet are bad, then then you're you're not going to play well. And then he would teach them, he would, he, he would show them a basketball, but he wouldn't let them touch it or play with it for a long time because he would teach them what seemingly are not important principles that led them to be able to do what they were supposed to learn to do is play basketball. So there is no one, there is no seven fundamentals or five fundamentals or 10 fundamentals. That's for people who don't who, who want to exclude fundamentals. And uh, somebody who's fundamentally sound is more inclusive of fundamentals because you, you're not going to be a fundamentally sound doctor, doctor on five to seven to 10 principles. You're going to want to learn more fundamentals that deal with more aspects of physical health and healing. So we're, we exclude things that we don't want to call fundamental rather than include things that are fundamental to what makes a person successful in their faith. That's not just seven things or six things or right. five things or whatever. Right. This, these questions may be sort of like what we just talked about, but um, what's different in the movement uh, today than what your dad was about and what do we need to bring back that your dad taught? Well, the b- biggest thing uh, different is the internet is different. Um, men today are controlled a lot by peer pressure hmm. and the internet. Many, many years ago when, um, when Lester Roloff was still alive, my dad and all these guys were around, um, Lester Roloff got uh, accused, falsely accused. Now, who knew if it was false or not? He got accused. And the question wasn't, is it true or false? The question was, he got accused. Well, there was a time when we believed that accusation had to be proven. It, my dad's generation, they all came to the side because they considered the accuser. Who's the, what, what's the motive behind the yeah. accuser? You see, an accusation 
is 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 part based on fact and part based on personality or feeling or, or or the person who makes the accusation. So if you go into the Bible, there were multitudes of false accusations made against people in Scripture. I mean, you go from Genesis to Revelation, false accusation existed. Much of it, much of it was based upon someone trying to undermine something good. So my dad looked at Lester Roloff, the man, looked at his track record and said, let's go defend him. And they did. They all did. Everybody did. It was like a mass of people coming and saying, we believe you're right. That's not happening today. We don't stand for each other. Yeah. We're scared to death of our own shadow. We're scared of what they're going to say about us on the internet. But I got I got to tell you something I, that, that my dad wouldn't have done that. My dad would not have allowed the internet to dictate how he responded to someone. So the difference is we're not on a team anymore. And and let me also say this. We don't know what an we don't know how to be allies anymore. Um you know, we disagree with someone who in who's 99% more like us than the person that's attacking them. And we like, we want them to go down. We want them to go down. That's not how my dad was. My dad defended people that were not quite like him because they he knew the enemy was much was after them. They were after truth. And my dad saw beyond if they get Lester, they're going to get someone else. If they get Lester, they're coming after us next. And he and he taught that. Don't let let's meet them at the next door neighbor or the next block before they bring their guns to our block. Yeah. That was the philosophy that he had. Wow. Boy, that's so different. Um, anything else we need to bring back that your dad um lived, taught, believed. I know a lot of these are sort of general and together, but uh, you know, if you're the principles, the things, the beliefs, the doctrines your dad did. What what do we need to bring back today in this generation? Uh, we need to bring back uh, the 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 willingness to get to the bottom of truth rather than believing everything that we say. Most of the most of the people that d- dislike my dad don't know what they're talking about. They're ignorant because they've not done their homework. Mm. We we are too quick to believe things. And because of it, we miss out on some important things that could have been helpful to us. We, we jump to conclusions based upon what someone says. And, and instead of doing our homework, doing our study, due diligence. And I, I think that my dad was very cautious. He moved very slowly before he made a decision uh, regarding a, another person. I mean, very carefully. Um, and even then, there were men my dad did not agree with, but he didn't attack. He didn't attack them because they had not, they were not at a level where they were, where they were going to bring harm or, 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 or heresy. So he was very cautious. We are just, I mean, we're like, I'll tell you what I think is, it, we are the talk radio personified. We're, we're like the talk radio guys who get their audience by trying to be controversial. That's how people, that's how they get people to listen to them. We've done that. My dad wasn't trying to get an audience by being controversial. He was controversial because he was willing to tell the truth, even when the truth wasn't popular. Awesome. Um, hey, in closing, unless you have something else that uh, you want to answer that I didn't ask, um, what if people haven't read give me a, a book or two of your dad's that if they haven't read they need to if somebody doesn't know jack hauser maybe they read it 20 years ago in a class really fast to get done with an assignment but the truth in those books need to come out again i know all of them would be but if there's a couple you would say hey get this book get this book and read it if you want to if you want to know the spiritual side of my dad read his book on prayer and his book on the Holy Spirit. If you want to know the philosophical side of my dad, read his book on um, uh, blue denim and lace and grace and truth. Uh, if you want to know the, the tenderness of my dad, read his poetry books. If you want to know the, the, the principled part of my dad, read the science of the Christian life. Um, if you want to know the man 
who tried to be right and do right, read justice. There's such a diversity to his books because they all kind of expose a different part of who he was, the tenderness in the poetry, the philosophical in the blue denim and lace, grace and truth, the principled in science of the Christian life, the, the spiritual in meet the Holy Spirit and prayer, and then the justice, the, the, the doing what's right to people in the book on justice. I honestly cannot tell you a book. I've been redoing them uh, and, and working on them. And I'll tell you, every time I go through one of his books again, I'm like, wow. I mean, I, I wish that every critic of my dad would read his books wow. and then come back and talk to me then. And I think that would be been, because they haven't, no. they haven't read him. And let me close one last thought. Why haven't they read him? Because of what they've heard about him and what they've heard about him is based upon what someone else heard about him from someone else who heard something about him. And when a thousand people say the same rumor, then you begin to believe there are a thousand witnesses to that rumor when there's not. There's one person that gave that rumor. But the truth is that you don't know the truth because you're hearing it by the masses of people that say the same thing. Repetition does not make lies true. So I wish that they would say, okay, look, I've heard all the bad, but I, but, but it's just the same thing. It's the same people saying the same thing. They're like puppets. And, and they just, they, they just, someone behind them is basically telling them, putting the words in their mouth. Yeah. Go read his books. Read his books. Why That's not so good. Hayden Tick. That, that would be powerful if they just said, okay, blank slate. Let me just read what the guy wrote. And you're right. Just like the preaching, the balance of that, his books, the balance of that too, to be able to show all those different aspects of him. I remember your dad's big battle and fight. And then I don't remember the guy's name, but he had heard all these things of Jack Isles and heretic and this. And okay, so here we go. He ordered a bunch of, I mean, a few years worth of sermons and sat down and listened to them with a notepad out. Okay. I'm going to write down all the heresies that I hear and he got done with years of sermons and didn't have one thing written down. He said, okay, I want to help your dad. And he did some neat things to be able to help your dad. If people would just look at it in justice and fairness and go, okay, wow, what is this? Instead of listening to people, atheists even, and other people that are jealous, who have agendas, who want to destroy somebody and a movement and the beliefs, um, it's amazing how much blessed their life could be like that. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting too, <clears throat> good men criticize good men. Men that are not bad. And so we take what they say as being fact. David Cloud. I, I'm not going to say one bad word about David Cloud. But D David Cloud never met my dad. I never had a conversation with my dad. And so if you believe what David Cloud says about my dad, that, that's not just. Let my dad talk. Give him a chance. Listen to his side. Because David Cloud didn't speak for my dad, but he's trying to interpret my It's like having someone interpret the Bible who doesn't know God. Well, how can you interpret my dad if you don't even know him? If you want to know him, go to jackhileslibrary.com and order the books. And I got good news for you. I don't make a dime <laughs> on those books. So I don't, there's no profit in it for me whatsoever. I don't want the profit. My goal is to get those books out to as many people as we can. Go to jackhileslibrary.com, order the books. And then have enough integrity and justice and honesty to, to read what he really said, find out what he, who he really was. Well, last thought. I think I said that, didn't I? Last thought. There were two groups of people that worked for my dad. There were the schools and there was the church. The schools are where all of the trouble came, all the defections. But my dad never lost a single staff member on the church who believed anything said about him. In other words, my dad was, those men stayed. They stayed until he died because they knew who he was. They knew his heart. To know his heart is to know who he really was. 
Well, you don't know his heart. And by the way, there may be something to him that his critics would be shocked could help them if they'd give it a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, great. Thanks for taking the time to uh, do this. I think people will enjoy it. Uh, we may do one of these again. If you have a question you'd like to know, um, you can email the fundamental Baptist podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we may do this again. I think it's great insight. And I don't want to let your dad's memory, principles, beliefs, truths, books, sermons, doctrine to die. And I think through this uh, podcast and interview like this, we can help keep some of those uh, going and bring some of those things back that we so desperately need in our churches today. So I'm thank glad you again. to do this and thank you for the opportunity. And let me just say this. Don't judge my dad by what you think about me. Okay. Uh, honestly, hear me out. Uh, don't make me the issue. Um, I, I, I want my dad to have the opportunity to be um, remembered, but not just remembered. I just want his influence to continue on for God. That was what my mom wanted. So it's not about me. Make it about me. Hate me. Whatever you want. That's okay with me. But give dad a chance. Get to know him. I, I think you'd be surprised. Okay. And thanks for this opportunity. I'm, I'm glad I have this chance to, to talk about him. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, until next time, God bless. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com.